And, you know, one of the things I heard somewhere was trust and success are like dancing partners. What does that mean is like, if you don't take one, the other one is not successful. But trust and diversity are not positively correlated. Mm. Usually, I am more likely to trust somebody that looks just like me or there, there are physical attributes or things that I know about this person where I can make an instant connection without anybody saying a word. You and me, I look at you, you're a woman. Okay, I have that connection point. Maybe I can trust you a little bit. The reason why diversity is so hard for people is because instantly it's hard for somebody to just start with the position of trust. And the way to do that is by being vulnerable or you know engaging in an activity that is shared. Uh, you and I can look very different. We may not have any connections, but maybe there is something that you're very passionate about, like DE&I. Okay. You and I end up in a team uh, working towards that. Then you see me, you see me, right? Not like the me, but you see me. And that's what creates trust. Welcome to Manager to Manager, a podcast about the experiences of people leaders and how we can enable them to lead engaged, healthy, and high-performing teams. I'm Kamaria Scott, your host, and I'm thrilled to have you join us as we learn, lead, and succeed together. Welcome back to Manager to Manager. I am so excited about this episode. Have you ever talked to someone and when they started discussing something that they were passionate about? The excitement and enthusiasm just jumped through the screen at you. That is today's guest. Today, I am joined by Nima Ja, and we had a really wonderful discussion about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I'm excited for you to hear why it's important to her, how she brings it to life with her team, and how you might be thinking about it with your own teams. So Nima, welcome to the episode. Thank you. Happy to be here today. So glad to have you. Will you share with our listeners just a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah. Hey, I am Nima Ja. Um, I have been in tech world for about 17, 18 years now. I'm originally from Kathmandu, Nepal. For a lot of you, it's a really small country between India and China. A lot of people know it because of Mount Everest or people who follow Buddhism. I came to US to find a path as a woman from a culture that didn't really support that. And that's why DEI's center to my being, me being here is is a testament to when you try, you can make it. And the other thing that I've learned through my journey is you can't be what you can't see. And I think that's that's why this is so critical to me. And as a mother to a 12-year-old daughter, I do want to leave this world better than I found it. And I think it's a small process. We may not see the whole change, but I think doing small things, one step at a time, hopefully I'm getting where uh, the next generation wants to see this world go. That is such an inspiring background. And I love how you mentioned that getting to DE&I is really about small changes. And I think the first step in that is really having an understanding of what you're trying to change. So I'd love for you to tell us or share with us in your own words, I think DE&I can sound lofty. It can sound very out there. And so if we could maybe start talking about when you think the ENI and, and, and how do we make that sort of more accessible and tangible for managers and leaders, in your own words, can we just start with what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the core of DNI is seeing each other for who they are and respecting them for who they are. As a Nepali woman, uh, a lot of times I'm not seen 
and the background, the history I come from, unless I share that, which requires vulnerability, people make assumptions. And I think for me, it's about willing to take the step to understand the other side and really figuring out nuances and checking in your biases and stereotypes that, you know, we all carry them. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm no saint in, in that manner. And in the cultures that we come from, we grew up with all these biases. And I think just bringing D and I forefront creates a safe space for us and the people that we work with, and even in our families to say, hey, we realize that the world is not equitable. Um, But without understanding that we do realize that and trying to see that, I think that's, it's just making it visible, right? Talking about it and not making it this thing that we want to aspire or strive to mm-hmm. uh, and making making it sort of real, right? This is who I am and I want to know who you are. And I think it, it really creates a space of inclusivity. I think, I think the key word here is being inclusive mm-hmm. and not being, a lot of times we talk about, you know, be, to, be tolerable. And, and I think that that's what I don't like, right? I don't want to tolerate anyone. I want to invite them into the conversation. I want them to feel part of it, part of something bigger, where I have something unique to share. I mean, why do you want a divorce team anyways, right? If if everybody thought in the same way, uh, we are in an echo chamber where we, you know, we go high five. Uh, <laughs> everyone says, oh, I love your ideas. And I think, you know, part of, part of that is as humans, we need that. Um, and one of my professors at Kellogg, this was his teaching was, you know, if you have more than 60% of people in your life that continuously say, hey, I agree with you, then you're in an echo chamber and you need to get out of it because it's going to ruin you because you won't be able to change. Mm-hmm. And I think you need um, diversity, not just, you know, people mistake that it could come from anywhere. It could mm-hmm. come from a culture, from a race, from the way you look, the way, what you practice, what you believe in, um, age. I mean, there's so many different ways of looking at world. And when you really invite those, you you see areas that you have blind spots in, things that you've not where you can go, aha, I never thought about that. And I think just bringing that brings new creative ideas mm-hmm. um, that you can practice day to day. And I think that's that's the beauty of a diverse group. I agree with you. The beauty of it is that we all see things a different way. We all have this compilation of our, our histories, our backgrounds, our cultures, our experiences through life that that shape how we see a situation. And so when we are together collectively on a team, it helps us to kind of say, have you thought about this? What about that? You know, here's how culturally I would see or hear that statement and what it would mean to me. So there's a lot, there's a lot of value in that. I want to dig a little bit deeper into the, almost like the how of it all, because I would say by now, most people who are leading teams in almost any organization have been in some sort of inclusion training and diversity training and might still be feeling like, okay, what does that mean for me day to day? How do I get to the nitty gritty and down to what am I supposed to do differently that's supposed to then make me like an inclusive leader. So can you speak to that? The first thing about that is just seeing each other for who they are. And when I say that is as a leader, you have to take a risk. You have to learn to be vulnerable. And, you know, one of the things I heard somewhere was trust and success are like dancing partners. What does that mean is like, if you don't take one, the other one is not successful. But trust and diversity are not positively correlated. Mm. Usually, I am more likely to trust somebody that looks just like me, or there there are physical attributes or things that I know about this person where I can make a 
instant connection without anybody saying a word. You and me, I look at you, you're a woman. Okay, I have that connection point. Maybe I can trust you a little bit. The reason why diversity is so hard for people is because instantly it's hard for somebody to just start with the position of trust. And the way to do that is by being vulnerable or you know, engaging in an activity that is shared. Uh, you and I can look very different. We may not have any connections, but maybe there is something that you're very passionate about, like DE&I. Okay. You and I end up in a team uh, working towards that. Then you see me, you see me, right? Not like the me, but you see me. And that's what creates trust. And I think just being able to create opportunities like that for your team, where you can gather in shared activities, Mm -hmm. Or a leader being very vulnerable uh, about their experiences. And a lot of times we are led by people where we look at them and I'm like, oh, this person has no idea what DN means. They're, they're, they can't walk the talk. Uh, and those are stereotypes and biases we have in our mind. We look at someone and we make that assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. you, you look at a white man and you say, oh, you know, that person might be this way. Until you decide to open up and take that leap of faith and say, maybe let me try trusting this person. And once you start to hear their stories, then, then you start to realize, oh, this person is not that different from me. We have so many shared experiences, lived experiences that I can connect this person with. I think that really is only possible when you create a safe space for people to take that chance. And that's why I talk about risk, right? And that's the risk you're taking is like, I am going to take this. But as a leader, I think you have to create that. You have to be vulnerable first. You have to show your team that, hey, I, these are the mistakes I've made. Mm -hmm. And I think setting that boundary through experience and sharing your own experience and how you dealt with it kind of creates that safe ground. There's two things that you mentioned that really stood out to me. And one of them is this concept of trust and how it's important to be purposeful about the culture you're trying to create. So DE&I is not simply about let's bring a bunch of people into the room and hope something magical happens. I think what I hear you saying is it is bringing different perspectives, different backgrounds into the room and getting them to trust each other despite what their differences might be, because we we are inclined to lean into, oh, we went to the same school or we have the same way of thinking. And so it's being purposeful as a leader about thinking about the culture you want to have for your team and then how you how you work to build that. And then sort of following that up with your behaviors then have to align to I'm purposely trying to build trust with my team. So that's yeah. that's a, it's, it's interesting one. How deliberate do you think that leaders are or should be about the culture piece? So maybe not going into it from the perspective of, I want to work on DE&I, but really understanding that it's a means to an end, not selfishly, but it is a path through to the kind of culture you're trying to create. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yes. To me, I think it's not a program. Mm. I don't think DEI is a program. I think it's a, it's a way of living. And it, it's a way of incorporating small practices, tiny habits into your day-to-day -day that just becomes part of, you know, your muscle memory. It's hard in the beginning, mm -hmm. and then it just comes naturally. For I'll give you an example. When I'm in a team meeting and I hear somebody interrupt, a lot of times when I'm faced with situations like that, 
I would individually reach out to the person who was either interrupted or was disrespected or voice was not heard. Mm-hmm. Hey, would you like me to jump in here and help you out? Sometimes, you know, you have that relationship with the other person. Sometimes it's the person who's an offender that I would reach out to separately mm-hmm. on a one-on-one. And sometimes though, you have to set example. And so you do it once, you do it twice. The third time you don't have to. The person doing that will change or somebody else is going to feel co- obligated to jump in on uh, to defend themselves or defend other people. And I think that's a very deliberate way of showing up. Don't say this is a great question or, you know, great idea. Okay, well, that was a great idea. What about mine, right? And so I think just being deliberate about little things where you're like, you know, like be inclusive and not all ideas are going to stick, but they're all good ideas. So when you tell one person your idea is great and then the other person doesn't hear the same thing, you're creating a place where somebody's going to not want to say it again. That's so these so are really little things that you kind of have to pay attention to, you know, like how you operate on a day-to-day basis. That is so interesting. I, I That actually stuck with me because I, I had to just check myself there and go, oh, I think I might be guilty of that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all are, right? And that's right? the beauty of it, right? It's, we all have done it. I still do it. But I think being an inclusive leader is, oh, I did it again. And yes. Like tap on your hand or, and, you know, make a habit of saying, I'm, I'm going to try not to do it. Okay. Today I did it once tomorrow. Maybe I'll do it. zero. Yeah. Right? So I think, I think it's a, it's a space where, and that's why vulnerability matters because when you make these mistakes, be open about it. Hey, did you yes. guys notice I did that? Just like little things like that. Like, Oh, I did that again. Can somebody please like interrupt me next time I do that? And that just makes it very safe for everybody to say, hey, you did it again. And then that fear or inhibition, you kind of kill that, right? Yeah. You put yourself in the center of it. And And you're leading by example. And you're leading by example in a way that says, I am willing to learn to be different. Because one of the ones that was really hard for me is the saying of you guys. And realizing that, wait, that, that's not really inclusive. And so getting out of the habit of saying that was one where I'd be like, oh, I said it again. But also like not making a big deal out of it and people being in, and our team would actually just laugh about it yeah. as we kind of continue to change. And I think the other part too is recognizing biases and being able to call them out in a way that doesn't necessarily make people feel bad, but does draw attention to it and help them realize when it's there. I think sometimes when we think of bias, we think of the overt ones. We think of bias toward gender or bias towards race. But I think some of the ones that I see most often are actually proximity bias and not necessarily your office is next to my office, but more so we work together and you're my go-to person. And so I'm going to always go to you because you are proximity to me almost mentally. If I think about it from a strengths perspective, I see bias toward those who might have more of that action-oriented strength than maybe like a relationship strength or a creative strength. And I do wonder, how do we challenge some of the biases that may not be the ones we're most familiar with or most conditioned to think about, but are more so work preference, style, strengths, things of that nature? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. And I think the the to me, it's it's kind of asking, you know, non-conforming questions. So like, okay, what are my assumptions about the situation? And how do I break that? And a lot of times when you you have biases, you're looking for an agreement. You're not looking for a disagreement. That's why we have biases, right? I mean, yes. the, why, why do we have that? The, the affinity bias that we have is 
because we want to go to someone that says, Kumbaya, let's like, you know, high five. I love what you just said. And then if we also can find somebody, in my case, that's my husband. I would go to him and he would tell me everything that could be wrong with that. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's like my boss. He's very good at asking questions. So it's a kind of identifying specialty areas and have Mm -hmm. at least one person to go to. Like if you want to talk about science, have somebody in your mind that could kind of mentor you about that. If you want to talk about technology, have someone. And so that's a really good way to just, you know, start with three, have three people who have no idea what you do, but you can go in like, if you can simplify that message and that person can understand and say, oh, so, but what about this? That means you went to the right person because even without any context or background, this person is giving you something that you didn't think about. So I think, I, I mean, I like doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it gives me different perspective on on my biases. We we strive then to be inclusive leaders, but we often don't really know what that means in the day to day. So how do you check in to say to to get feedbacks? I love that you said I'm somebody who's data driven, so I don't do anything without data. How do you know what what evidence do you look for from your team that helps you to say, yes, I actually am being an inclusive leader, or maybe there's some places where I might want to think about how I do something differently or better. So if somebody is like, I think I'm inclusive, how do they know? What should they be looking for? Yeah, and I I, I can't remember which book I read this in, but it might have been a, a Bryn Brown, one of her books, and I love her, by the way. Like We, I, we I, love her. I, yeah. <laughs> when I first started reading about it was, you know, set the tone, set the tone and setting the tone is, you know, you being very, very transparent about your goals, your shortcomings, your failures, your successes, and just putting it out there. Um, And I think, you know, her strategy was that if you do it enough, it becomes a habit for somebody else to come back. Cause you know, you give so much, Mm -hmm. the other side is, almost tempted to then do their part. And I love that. So recently I've, um, I've, I've been leading a team. It's like a new team because I've changed, uh, changed an area of the business. And we are very data-driven company. Uh, we talk about our goals and what we want to do. And, you know, I had my first offsite with my team and it was a half a day of really tell me who you are. What do you like? Would you not like, what are your struggles? You know, what's working, what's not working. And I started with my story first, you know, um, cause I've not had it easy and it's not something that I was comfortable 20 years ago talking about it. But as I've grown and mature, I feel like, you know, that's part of the story I need to own. I need, you know, if I want to see somebody else, they need to see me for who mm-hmm. I am too. Um, so the session, I started the session with me kind of being vulnerable about my background, you know, my family, my, how I grew up. Uh, education, like my parents never went to school, you know, I, I came to America from, you know, all the way from South Asia, mm-hmm. that journey was not easy, right? So I shared all of that. And then I invited my team. And I said, you know, there's no time limit, just share what you feel comfortable. So I didn't put mm-hmm. any structure to say, tell me about this, 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 right? Like, tell me what you feel comfortable sharing and what you want to get out, right? Like, what's your goal for this year? As a leader, what should be my success criteria of how I have helped you this year? And it was incredible. We talked about trust. We talked about diversity. We talked about network. We mm-hmm. talked about failures. And at the end of it, they're like, wow, we've never done this before. 
we have never done this before where we did not talk about our goals. We did not talk about numbers. We didn't talk about, I did talk about what does it mean? Ways of working. What does it mean mm-hmm. to work together as a team? So I ingrained some of, you know, successes of like how to be inclusive. And I think just focusing on that. So I think creating that environment, I I thought it was like, okay, this is good, right? Because we yes. now there is a foundation that we're going to work towards. The second is, you know, you may have done that, but it's not one and done. And so when I do my one-on-one check-ins, like my always is like, okay, tell me how I can help you. What are you struggling with? And just being open and being patient and listening. So if I am having a lot of quiet moments where there is not a whole lot of back and forth, when the person doesn't engage back with you, you know, there's something going on. And okay. I think that's like, a, that's like a red flag where you need to then probably think about a strategy of, you know, is it in a group setting? Is it one-on-one? Is there something going on that you're not aware of? And I think that really invites, you know, leaning in when you need to lean in for your team. Because, you know, if you're also seeing failures where you you are getting that information after the fact, there's a gap. So looking for the instances where, pe- where people maybe are not leaning in, they're not participating, you're seeing that withdrawal, maybe seeing the lack of vulnerability and and being able to escalate things. Those are some of the signs that you that you might be getting it wrong, that people aren't feeling, they're not feeling the trust that comes from the diversity. What does it look like though when you are getting it right? So if you so imagine that you are sitting in a meeting with your team and you're scanning faces, you're watching behaviors, what are some of the things that you look for that help you to say, okay, the actions that I'm taking to lead inclusively are working. I they're, they're benefiting from that. What does that look like? Because I think about you know my own team and I think about one of the things that always stands out to me is that they do have different strengths. They have different ways they see the world. They have different, just, just what they bring to the table on different projects. I know who I can go to for what. That's my first perspective of how I feel. But I also look to say, how do I know that they are they are really getting the true benefit of this? What as a leader, how do I check in to say, I think this is working well? How I see is engagement okay. and willingness to participate, willingness to challenge. Are we engaging in healthy debate about things? Mm-hmm. Is somebody coming up with a different perspective that says, how about we do it differently? Or is someone raising their hand and saying, how about I take this? Because a lot of times that basically says that this person is invested in the team's success. And if you see, you know, no hand raise, you know, no questions, that's when I know there's no, it's not working. But, mm-hmm. you know, if, if if people are engaging and if people are willing to support each other or, you know, um, like I was out Friday and Monday and one of uh, my direct reports said, hey, what can I do when you're out? What should I help you with? And I think that's the magic thing for me about knowing when I've gotten it right. When they know that they have something of value to offer, that's when I'm like, aha, we're onto something. Because it's the, you know, the purposely planting the seeds of, I'm so grateful that you have this strength of execution. I'm so grateful that you have this relationship strength. I'm so grateful that you have, you know, this learner strength. I'm using overusing my Gallup terms, but whatever it might be. <laughs> but yeah. verbally saying that to them so that they know that I recognize it. And then they recognize situations where that skill or strength comes into play. 
And that can be whatever your cultural background is. It can be whatever, whatever your, I like to call it special sauce, whatever your special sauce is that makes you different or unique that one, you know, it's valuable. And two, you know what you can aim it at in order to help us all be successful. And I think that's one of the things to me that always gives me that goosebumpy feeling when they can see for themselves what they bring to the table and they automatically jump in to know because they like for, you know, I personally, I am not the person you should trust with your project plan. I'm going to be very honest with you about that. But there is always someone on my team that that like that's what they bring to the table. Like they organize, they can see the execution of things and it's wonderful. And I think that is the magic part for me is when I can see in them that they can recognize their own value, that it's been reinforced and 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 appreciated enough that they know it's valued. And then when they see opportunities where they're like, oh, I can bring this to the table, they're willing to j- jump in and be like, I'll do it. So totally yeah. get what you're saying about that. Yeah, I think that's that's so true. And you just helped me think about it in a different way. But yeah, it's I think I think when people are comfortable kind of being themselves and saying that, hey, I can do this. I think that's the great testament of, you know, you being a trusted partner for them. Yeah. So yeah. this has been tremendously helpful. But I always like to end with the same two questions, which are if if a leader is trying to think about and a manager is trying to think about how do I lead more inclusively with my team? What do I start? What are things to focus on? What's a, a piece of advice that you would give to someone else to help them be successful? And then also, you know, how can organizations better support leaders who are trying to be more inclusive? I think, you know, from, from my experience is think big, start small. Start with yourself first, because, you know, no inclusiveness, diversity or, you know, leadership comes without you having the ability to introspect first of your standing of where do you stand in the spectrum? You know, we could be anywhere in the spectrum. We could be a naysayer. We could be somebody who believes very, very strongly about this is what I want to do. But I think it is super important for you to look at yourself first and say, what do I really want out of this? And why do I want this? Right. And so that's like starting small, but it also requires a lot of strength to Mm -hmm. critique yourself and to say, here's how I've operated and here's what needs to change. Because without you, doing that exercise and checking in some of your behavior, I think it's very, very hard for you to be vulnerable to say, hey, I made a mistake. Because if you're not willing to admit to yourself, you won't be able to do that in front of your team. Start with your team. Even if you are a culture which is not very good, I think you have control over how you want to operate your team. And it's it's something that I will say to everybody that says, oh, you know, my company just doesn't work that way. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. It's not your CEO. Yes, they are on the hook to do it. But as an organization, it's like ground up and you are on the ground and it's your responsibility to build that because once you see, it's kind of like, it's infectious, really. When you see a team that operates really well, exemplifies these, you know, values other people want to emulate you, but mm-hmm. you use your voice, you know, because there is a reason why you are in that position. I am spending time to talk about this without impacting the business value that I bring. It, in fact, amplifies that because people are now not just seeing me as, okay, she's really good at business, but she's bringing other people along the journey Yes, to get to drive results. And I think we just need to talk about it and make it part of like your daily language. And I think if you're willing to take small steps, I think it is possible for us to think big and create an organization that culturally is inclusive. 
Well, thank you for that. I, I love the take small steps. If someone wanted to reach out to you occasionally just to ask a question or two, is LinkedIn the best way to do that? Yeah, I invite any dialogue. Yeah, feel free, feel free to share my LinkedIn profile. I'm happy to answer support. That's that's what drives me. I get a lot of energy from it. So I can see. <laughs> this has been so great. I mean, your, your energy is so affectious. For those of you who are listening, I hope that this has inspired you to just think about how you might think big and start small and what one step you might take to lead more inclusively, to think about how you can build trust on your teams and just be deliberate about the culture you're trying to create. So hope you have enjoyed this episode. Until next time, thank you for joining us on Manager to Manager. Okay, friends, this wraps episode four. I hope you found it to be just as insightful and engaging as I did. If so, I would greatly appreciate it if you would help us grow by finding us in your favorite podcast spot and leaving us a rating or review. This will help us reach other managers who are just like you and looking to learn from one another. While you're there, remember to subscribe. Thanks in advance, and we'll see you again on the next episode of Manager to Manager.